Welcome back to our podcast, An Irish Girl and an English Girl Walk Into a Bar. To talk about their favourite things, it's me, Nicole Shamir, and you, Anya Holy. It's been a little while, hasn't it, Anya? Yes, several months. Um, there were a number of occasions where we intended to record the podcast, but life just got in the way. Yes. It's been winter here, but things have been happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're still in St. Helena, COVID-free at the moment. So we're living a slightly bizarre life without um, really understanding what it's kind of been like in the rest of the world. Yes, it's strange because we obviously read the newspapers and keep on, you know, we, we keep in touch with the news. But because we're not actually there and experiencing it, there is that step removed we are that step removed from it and it feels really strange because even though we see people with masks on tv and we our friends and family tell us about all the restrictions because we can go out here unrestricted it just doesn't seem real mm. so it may be that in um a month or so time um i might be heading over to the uk to see um family and mm. friends so um i will be able to feel it experience it and um Hopefully not catch anything whilst you can, I'm there. You can report back. I will stay here as a snowbird. I follow the sun, so I've, Europe has missed its window now. It's too late for me to go to Europe until next summer. That's true. So it's starting to heat up here a little bit. We've got some gin and tonics uh, mm -hmm. ready to go. Um, and despite um, the... Um, the promise that, um, well, certainly I've been keeping, uh, and you've been much better at keeping, of not drinking too much. I am a little hungover today. Mm, but to be fair, though, you were at it. To be fair, though, you are probably, this is now rare for you. It's not an every weekend yes. occurrence. And it's probably only a fraction of what it would have been in the past. So I think you should still remain proud of yourself. It is, a, it is a bit of an odd thing when, um, you know, you cut down drinking to such a significant amount that when you have something like three glasses of wine, the next morning you're just in a cloud of haziness. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's just lack of tolerance or something. But mm. um, I, I definitely see what you mean. I mean, my tolerance levels have plummeted. And now, as you said, after a few drinks, the alcohol does really hit me. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, we'll, we'll muddle through, of course. Um, and hopefully uh, I won't be you know, running off with a headache or, or something like that during this podcast. I'm sure I won't. So um, what are we discussing today, Anya? We're discussing our favourite films today. Um, we've previously discussed our favourite books. And I think during that discussion, we did veer a little bit into film because some of them had been made into film as well. Or films, but yes, so that that is the topic today. Mm. You must, you probably noticed that before I say the word film, there is always a slight hesitation <laughs> in that I have to, I have to say it properly and not the <laughs> traditionally Irish way to say it, which be, which would be to say film. So I always hesitate and make sure I say film. <laughs> Pure... and I refuse to say a movie because I'm not American. <laughs> Pure permission here, Anya, to say film if you'd like I'll to. I'll say film. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I think my um, my London accent got kind of, or, or the worst parts of it got kicked out of me, and and in in a, in a way I'm kind of resentful for that. Maybe I should have stuck on with the uh, in it's and do you know what I mean, and uh, mm. you know what I mean. I think you should have. <laughs> I'd quite like if you got really into that. Yeah. yeah. Although I probably always think you were trying to sell me something from a market stall, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh no, no fruit today. Thank you. <laughs> When um, when my friend Heather came back to um, the area, or came, came to visit, um, in the area that I grew up in, which is uh, North West London, um, she exited Harrow on the Hill train station, and uh, there was a li literally a fruit guy there going, uh, uh, pay, you know, pairs for a pound, pound for a pound. <laughs> it's amazing. When you get your white van now. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That is true. I grew up thinking it was normal that um, men in white van would um, would hoot at you and, and call, call you out in your short skirts or whatever. As we know from um, a previous podcast, we talked about our most embarrassing moments. Oh, of which there have been many. Exactly. So um, film watching has been quite a large part of my life. So it's, I suppose it's strange for me that we've done this um, so late on. 
um, because films I absolutely love. Um, my dad and I used to watch films um, probably on a weekly basis. Um, or Was that typically. in the cinema or in his house? In the cinema, yeah. And, um, you know, if, well, if, if there was one on, of course. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of the time in cinema. And it's definitely one thing, or, or probably one of the, the most things that I miss from, from um, being here in St. Helena. Mm. Um, it's the smell of the popcorn, um, the noise of the adverts as you go in. Um, you know, the comfy seats, the big screen, everything like that. It is, you just can't recreate that that atmosphere at home, even when people, you know, build fancy home cinemas. It's never the same, because I agree with you, it's that whole, that I think it's the smell of the popcorn, really, that's hard to beat. And even just the queuing with other people and knowing that there are other options because there are multi-screens. Yeah, definitely. I think there was a study once done that... Um, you know, the taste of popcorn psychologically tastes much better when you're at a movie theatre. I would believe that. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, it was only the other other day that we were talking about, um, you know, how exciting it was that um, the James Bond film was coming out and, mm. and that I may coincide with the time that I'm back in um, in England. So, you know, all going well, depending on the pandemic, mm. I could be could be actually at a, a theatre watching watching James Bond. So, oh, James Bond is definitely a cinema film. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you know as well? Speaking about popcorn, Nicole, that in America, I went to see parts of the Caribbean in America years ago, and I was working there for the summer. You can get your popcorn refilled. You know the way in Ireland or in England, you just oh, buy yeah, the right. popcorn and you pick the size, you buy it, yeah. and that's it. Then you'd have to buy another carton if you wanted more. Yeah. In America, you get free 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 refills on your soft drinks and your popcorn. So you can't watch a film in peace in America because people keep oh. getting up to go out and get the refills. I couldn't believe it. Oh, that's amazing. So in, in Holland, they, they don't do free ref refills that I know of. However, right in the middle of the film, there is a break. Oh, yes. They used to have intervals in the old-fashioned cinemas in Ireland, the one-screen ones, so that you could go to the shop and buy the sweets. That's it. And, um, and in Holland, they also sell alcohol. It's oh, always brilliant. been a thing. So, oh, yeah. so pe you know, adults would always, you know, have a drink and then go yeah. back for a second drink, go to the toilet or whatnot. Um, I actually quite like it. I mean, some people dead against it, but I think oh, it's no. quite good. I, I liked it when they used to do the interval, and because it meant that you could buy snacks without disrupting other people. And I also like the alcohol thing because sometimes in the more art house cinemas they'll do that. Mm. They'll have a wine bar or, or some maybe a license to sell beer or something. And like it is a sociable thing. I definitely like it. Definitely, and they've got um, they've got a lot more kind of posh these kind of art house cinemas mm. with big sofas and things nowadays. I went to um, when I was in Sydney. I went to um, one particular um, movie theater which um, served Indian food. Oh, and amazing! It was, it was fantastic. I think it was called Govinda's. I might be wrong on that, but you went along and you had like a buffet. Um, of Indian food mm. and then um, the way that they had laid out the seating it was like all like laying down on the floor okay so yeah. it, there was like loads of cushions and um, sort of like in a Japanese restaurant I think um, it, kind of but uh, the eating was separate from the cinema if you know oh, what I mean okay. so you yeah. ate and then you went and laid down and, and on these mats and these like oh, cushions wow. and stuff and watched the film Um the only thing is my friend actually fell asleep from how you comfortable would, it was. Well, first of all, the comfort. And then Indian food is quite hearty and like filling yeah. as well, so you probably would feel sleepy from that. Yeah, that was that was really cool. Have you ever gone to those um, sort of cinema experience nights? I remember there's this club in Dublin called the Sugar Club. It's like a venue where they have gigs and all of that. Yeah. It's like a multi-purpose venue. And they would have evenings. So I went to one where they screened Casablanca. Yeah. But they did up all of... So it's a big venue. So they had... The, obviously, they had a, a screen to show the film. But then they had done the seating. So that it was like... You know, in Casablanca, they have oh. those little tables where they're in Rick's oh, Bar. Yes. So they had made the table. So you looked, it felt as if you were in Rick's Bar. And then they had table service of like... Um, wine and whatever drinks yeah. you wanted to the table and then everybody had to dress in um like 40s clothing so that would be the era Fantastic. of Blanca. and then before the film started they had like music playing but they had a real band so when the the like as time goes by and all the the songs and the soundtrack would play the band would actually play it like a proper Incredible. orchestra but it was so good I mean I'd love to I think that was just starting to become a thing just as I left Ireland and moved yeah. here but it would be amazing because there's so many films that that would work for and like it was a 
great night out. I really enjoyed it. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I went. I went to one like that. It was um, it was Greece, and it was um, in um, in a field in in barns in southwest London, and they had the cars and the characters and the popcorn stores mm, oh, I love that. and like some fun fair stuff. But actually, um, a good. You know, um, a, a guy I used to, to work with, um, Dom, he set up a, a company called um, Backyard Cinema as well. And they, they were doing really, uh, really well before lockdown. They ended up getting their own premises down in um, Elephant oh, and wow. Castle. But the one, um, one particular one I went to see, which was definitely a favourite, was the, um, uh, is it Baz Luhrmann version of the... Um, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Oh yes, yeah, I like that film. And um, you know they've done it. So it was in a church, and oh, yes. um, so you you know you sat along uh, the pews, and then um, at the point where um, you know that that like suicide moment or yes, the yeah. you know the tricking and so on and so forth ha- happened. It's a beautiful choir um, mm. style song that comes on and then um, similar to what you were saying they had a choir there who sang the entire song from start to finish oh, and it was so just moving. magical and and you know the entire church is dark but with these red crosses on just like the movie oh, wow. and it was just amazing and talking about popcorn there they had um kind of local entrepreneur who had done um, all those different types of flavoured popcorn. Oh yeah, because they can be great. The only, like I love the parmesan popcorn. Yeah. It's really good, yeah. That's good. In fact, in Sinalina, I, I do find it strange. They love putting um, the cheese on the popcorn here, but just like a, as an added kind of flavour. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. I mean, I like I like the savoury, I like the savoury, but I do like the sweeters, like the toffee popcorn and all mm. that. Yeah. Do you have um, sweet popcorn in Ireland? Because I mean, that's huge in England, but yeah, it's yeah. it's certainly not in America or Canada or lots of other places I've been to. They just don't but have this just kind of sugar. They put in America. Yeah. yeah, in Ireland you can buy it in, you know, in the supermarket. You can buy it in packets, like you buy a packet of crisp, you can buy a packet of, like, oh, yeah. sweet popcorn. And, yeah, in a lot of the bigger cinemas where there's more, choi- more choice of food, you can definitely buy sweet popcorn. Um, and then what we used to always do, though, was we used to always, my friends and I, it was like it's not something we just did, it was a popular thing to do. We would buy the butter popcorn in the cinema which would obviously be savoury mm. butter. But then we would buy packets of M&M's and Smarties and or Galaxy oh, Minstrels yeah. and put them in. Like, loads of people would do that. Because they'd oh, often, yeah. in Ireland, they'd have the those sharing bags of sweets, like, next to the popcorn. Yeah. And loads of people would do that to get that kind of sweet savoury. Oh, that's interesting. It's really tasty, actually. Oh, another thing I miss from, from being in the UK, there was this popcorn stand in um, East Dulwich Market in London. And it was, like, a sweet toffee and also salted popcorn is one of the best things I've had in my life we um oh, that does sound good um Reese and I um my husband and I walked past this uh, girl eating it once she says oh is that any good and she's like it's like crack so it's ever forever been known as crack corn <laughs> and it's like the most amazing thing that would actually be great marketing for a popcorn company, crack corn because really yeah. you could do quite cheeky adverts with that yeah just a bit close to the line but it would be good exactly mm-hmm. but I was really really pleased when I came to St. Helena that we had these kind of movie clubs I don't know mm. maybe that's too formal a thing but um, you know, because there's no cinema here, um, we would kind of gather around and um, have a projector on the wall mm. and, and watch things together. Um, you know, and sometimes they do it with, with non-film things like, you know, for example, maybe the Bake Off or yeah. um, when Game of Thrones was on and things like that. <laughs> I can't my, believe you my views watched. on Game of Thrones I can't are believe well documented. Game of Thrones. I don't like it? creatures. And all of the time I've been living in St. Helena, my social life has been impacted upon adversely by these Game of Thrones gatherings. Think if you can't beat it, join it on you, honestly. I'm going to dead fish go to <laughs> So, I mean, you used to do the, um, the film club quite a lot, didn't you? In yes. your flat. Yeah, so a few years ago, I think probably when you got here was a bit at the tail end of it, but a few years ago, I, I had um, a projector which I shared with my friends John and Mike who are now actually have returned to St. Helena. Actually I wonder if they have the projector to test them. And they we shared a projector that we bought secondhand from somebody else who was leaving. And then the walls in my flat are very suited to it because there's big flat white walls so it's perfect mm. for projecting on film. So we started off it was quite formal when we started it off whereby well I mean anyone was welcome to join like anybody would be welcome to go to it. But 
you we would do a raffle so we would do a raffle each i think it was every fortnight we had and so we do a raffle at the end so the person whose name came out of the raffle would get to pick the film that would be next shown but we we sort of encouraged like it was up to yourself what you chose but it wouldn't really be blockbusters usually people were encouraged to pick something that they really liked but maybe other people wouldn't have seen Uh. so that you got to see like unusual films so for example our friend emma i think she picked the I think the fir- oh the first one we did by email and people David Bowie had I think had died around that time okay, yeah. so it was that um, labyrinth was, was mm. chosen and then Emma our friend Emma was the first person to win the raffle so she picked I I can't think of the name of it but it was this zombie com sorry this um, vampire comedy okay but it's quite a like it's really funny obviously dark yeah. humor but it's like quite unusual and quirky so that that was very mm. enjoyable. And then various people fic- like picked various things, but it was just really good to see films that I probably wouldn't have seen or mm. chosen, but you would still enjoy them. But it kind of petered out a bit then, because I think sometimes then as the weather got hotter, other people would, ho- the person who was choosing the film, if their house was suitably, like had suitable mm. walls and stuff, they would choose, they would, they would um, host it as well. So some people did outdoor screenings, like um, which was nice as yeah. well. Like I mean, you did a brilliant thing recently where you did La La Land on the side of your house, and because your house has a vista that looks a bit like the Hollywood Hills, it felt like yeah. we were there in LA. It's fantastic, yeah. yeah. It was uh, kind of recreating the first time I saw it, but that was in um, Lydia's garden in Jamestown, and she put it on the outside of uh, you know of the yeah, house that, as well. Yeah, oh, I remember I was ill for that unfortunately, yeah. but everybody raved about how good it was. Yeah, but it was even, you know, doubly good here like you say because of the the sea view and the hills mm. and things like that and the houses on the hills it was incredible. Yeah, no, is is it cuz actually I think that film club is maybe something we should we should revitalize mm. a bit cuz I know as you know then our friend Mike he screens films at the at the Mulyards, people kind of pizza and a film yeah. which is quite popular in St. Helena cuz you can watch the the film right next to Get Carter's Pizza, so that's really nice that people can yeah. have their 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 pizza while they're watching a film, which is a nice night out for people. Mm. I'm such a wimp with the cold that that's I can only go there at the height of summer. You see, because and this is I relative down, cold, of course. Yeah, it's relative it's 15 cold. Fifteen degrees. Yeah. But as somebody who's completely acclimatized, yeah. I find I just I get agree. too cold. So I only I only tend that during like summer, yeah, height of summer. And but it, that's nights. a nice night out. And he Mike tends to pick things that are like. Um, currently, you know, with that a few weeks ago mm. happened big in the cinemas around the world, so it's good to keep up with yeah. kind of recent releases. Like, for example, he, um, you know, there was a screening of Hamilton, and um, you know, I, I actually, I actually regret not seeing that because I missed that too. Yeah, yeah but I, I, you know, I haven't. I, I know you like musicals, but I, I haven't really got. I never really got got into musicals, but mm. the amount of people. I'm sure, you'd have the patience for them. Yeah. I think you could get quite annoyed during the singing bit. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly what it is. I think there's a song, and I might be, you know, I'm happy to be corrected, but it's West Side Story. I actually saw it in um, in the theatre as well, and it was a song about I'm going to write a love song. I'm going to write a love song. And it just repetitive. I can and just I, imagine you being there. Write it. Just write it. Yeah, just, <laughs> just write the song, man. Just don't think about doing it. Just do it, man. What's the love song Whereas about? I'd be like, yeah, I often think I must do this. I must do that. And then we're actually doing it. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe give Hamilton a chance. <laughs> maybe we should watch. Maybe we should um, screen it. Find out other people who missed it because there yeah. were a few other people who missed it and, and make an evening. Exactly. So one of the um, the things you traditionally do is um, a Christmas screening, um, probably yes. the the week of Christmas around around then, um, which is always a very nice kind of break from the parties and and um, whatnot. Um, and I always remember watching It's a Wonderful Life, which... I have mixed reviews to that. <laughs> funny, um, but very odd because it's, it's such a great... Mm. I, I know it's kind of like a bit of a depressing film because um, it talks about... Um, was it the, the 30s recession it was? Or it might have been another recession. Maybe it was later because no, there was cars in it. I think you're right, though. I think it might have been after that Wall Street crash in 1929, and it was that depression in the 30s. Okay. Yes, I, th- I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. So. Um, but it was it was such a great film, and actually, in doing a bit of research for this um, for this podcast, 
um, you know, I, I was looking at what, what the, the greatest rated mm-hmm. films were, and that was certainly on the list. And it was actually quite interesting because there were so many films that I'd not seen before on that list. Oh, and I'm I, probably the same. I, I yeah. missed so many of the classics. So I, I'm really up for going back and, and doing that. And um, Even if, as you you used, if you use that that list as a guide, that would be really good. Yeah. And so um, there were some on there that, you know, I, I did know, but then others I didn't. It reminds me of um, I, when I was 18, um, you know, there were so many iconic films I hadn't been able to watch because, um, you know, I hadn't been 18 before. Oh, yes. So I basically went to, in those days, the blockbuster um, DVD store, or not even video store, I, I don't know, what. God, am I old, um, and watched, no, it must have been DVDs. Oh, I'm old enough to remember the excitement <laughs> when my dad bought a video player, and oh, then we yeah. would go to the video shop. <laughs> and hire the Care Bears movie <laughs> and my sister and I oh no my sister was probably a baby um, we would watch so it went videos and then when we went to DVDs my granny actually called DVDs she was like oh this is just a fad a flash in the pan nobody will bother with these DVDs and she was right that's true actually the yeah the technology superseded them in a way um, yeah and so at that time so I watched certain movies like The Exorcist um, oh yeah I, I find that really creepy yeah, I mean, yes, obviously it's, a, yeah. it's meant to be scary it's obviously <laughs> but I find it though particularly frightening if you know, because I yeah. think I don't like the gore aspect of it that's true yeah I've never the, been into being sick kind of... and all of that I don't like that and then the Catholic thing when you get to my Catholic oh, guilt yeah. must have been a bit like god maybe I'll become possessed by the devil that's true yeah and it, it's funny like the days before like decent like CGI as well mm. it's very fake but the one I really enjoyed at that that time when I was doing all these viewings was um, Pulp Fiction um, oh yeah I really like Pulp yeah, Fiction yeah fantastic film and that really got me into that kind of um, the you know, darkness style. of the humour is, is really good yeah, yeah. and um, and actually for when Reese and I got married we had the um, the Pina Colada song. Oh yes. Um, and yeah, it kind of turned into a bit of that, like the, the way we dance was a bit like that scene from Pulp Fiction. Oh, I love that scene. That's brilliant. And yeah. I remember for a while there at Halloween, somebody would always dress as the Uma Thurman character because mm. it was such a simple but effective costume for a girl to do. Because if you just got the black wig and then wore a white shirt and had yeah. the, the red lipstick and the cigarette, that's true. Mm. Very good. But I think you'd be good at that, Nicole, that costume. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe for one of Just a bit of a hint now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We were talking about doing a costume party for John's coming home. Yes, party. we will. So we'll, I think the theme will be, just announcing it now, <laughs> is that we'll all wear a costume and we'll try and impress John and allow John to choose the best costume because he is the costume king. So I was going to make a counter-suggestion. Oh. Um, which was something that I heard at dinner yesterday. Um, I feel like one of those politicians who goes to do an interview and they're ambushed live on air, and I'm a bit like, thank you for your question, Nicole. Yes, I I think you should probably still go with what you're going for, but this might be an interesting one for another time. Um, Go dressed as your mum or your dad. actually have so much of my mother's clothes that would be simple I could just put on my bright jacket that my mother gave me from the 80s and just be my mum um, yeah. I'm not willing to cut my hair but that might be a good suggestion for the future thank you for your contribution <laughs> amazing so is there anything kind of particular that makes a film memorable to you? Um, well, I find that it's not so much the film itself. So sometimes I'll watch the films which probably would make that list you were talking mm. about as being a you know a classic film, a brilliantly directed or a brilliantly shot film or something. But <clears throat> I find it's sort of the, the way in which I saw the film that makes it memorable to me. So, for example, I saw this film... <clears throat> excuse me. I saw this film called The Ghostwriter... Um, a few years ago. It's, it is an interesting film, but it's not one of those films that would make, you know, those best film ever lists. Mm. It's about, it's based basically on, they use, um, like, s- other names for the characters, but it's based on Tony and Sheree Blair, but it's kind of, Ewan McGregor is in it as well, where this ex-Prime Minister is writing his memoirs, okay. and Ewan McGregor is hired as a ghostwriter to actually help him to write them. Mm. So it's set in Nantucket, <coughs> excuse me, you know, that island off um, 
Massachusetts. I think you can fly there from Boston. And in the film, it's based on the Blairs, but then it's obviously exaggeration and there's a lot of fiction put in as well. So they're on this island writing this book and then there's all this kind of intrigue about like the CIA and MI5 and how there's links to the Americans and that like some of it is okay. obviously imagined and then fictionalized. But it is an interesting film. But then at the same time, um, the reason I remember it is because I saw it in this film in Rio in Brazil. So my friend and my sister and I went to um, Brazil and Argentina on a holiday. Mm. And when we got to Brazil, it was their winter. So the weather was like was quite bad, but it was a mixture. So some days it would be very hot and you could go to the beach. And then the next day it would be like torrential rain and kind of a tropical storm. Yeah. So one of these days where it was a tropical storm and like really, really torrential rain, we decided we'd go to the cinema because we're like, well, you know, there is a whole lot you can do in a downpour. Yeah. So we went to this amazing um, cinema. Now, obviously, we needed to find a cinema where they were not dubbing the films so that we could understand oh, yeah. it. So this was a, a, a cinema that screened um, English language films and didn't dub yeah. them. And it was amazing. So it was this little cinema um, on the seafront looking onto like the Copa Command, no, so it was Ipanema Beach. And it was like, um, but it was outdoor. But they'd kind of, so even though it was raining, they put these kind of tarpaulins up so that the yeah. rain wouldn't fall on you. But it was like in a courtyard. So they had all these tarpaulins so the rain didn't fall. And then you obviously watched the, the film, but you were kind of outdoor. And then they had this amazing um, cafe on the side, like not like cinema mm. food, not popcorn and stuff, but like a proper cafe with yeah. like home baking and you get savoury stuff like really really nice like coffees you could buy wine there as well so we had like some some glasses of wine you could get caprinias you know those cocktails that yeah. they have so it was just a really like memorable experience to be like in this downpour in Rio amazing. drinking caprinas watching this film and then you walk out and there's this amazing seascape where the you know the sea is just churning yeah. up on like an iconic beach and it was just so memorable because even though it mightn't be the best film I've ever seen, you're obviously going to remember that yeah, as an experience. That's true. Ah, oh, that's that's so nice, and it really kind of reminds me of some of the like the charm of what's meant to be the charm of the cinema. Mm. If you see what I mean. No, I agree. Yeah, because like if you'd watch, if I'd watched that same film on a laptop or on a TV at home, it, it would be nothing to me. Yeah, exactly. There's um there's a really nice old cinema in Worthing. Um, seafront um down the, the south of england absolutely nothing like brazil because it's cold as anything for probably 360 days of the year but um but it's a very old-fashioned cinema and it's got the kind of bars either side of it as well oh i like those ones yeah, yeah so yeah. you can kind of come out and have a drink by the seaside and things like that and it's so right that they kind of experience i think so yeah because mm. another film I always think about with the experience is um, Dirty Dancing. So you know mm. how that's kind of something you tend to watch when you're young, you know. And yeah. I remember my when I was in school, we went on a school trip to France. And we drove from... I don't know why we did this. Because like Ryanair and all those budget airlines were already there and doing cheap flights. Okay. So it was ridiculous what we did. But we got the ferry from Ireland to... Um, to Swansea then we drove from Swansea wow. to Dover then got the ferry from Dover to Calais and then drove from Calais right down to the south of France so we were on a coach Bye. for about three <laughs> days so even though we were like young like we were all about 16 our legs were all swollen from basically just sitting down for three days so if we'd been older god only knows what would have happened because even though we were young teenagers it was you know yeah. like our legs were swollen from it and but in order to pass the time on the coach they would put it was an old um you know those combi tv dvds so you could put like a film on oh, to pass yeah. the time mm. so somebody had brought dirty dancing we must have watched it I would say 17 times oh on the trip. So we would just watch it and then we'd all sing along with the songs. Nice. And then people would do a bit of dancing in the aisle and the teacher or the bus driver would tell them to sit down. And it was just, like, I just remember... Because, I mean, it's a good film anyway and it's the type of it's film I would film. like because I really do enjoy musicals. But um, it was just that extra memory. But what, what I always think is quite interesting about Dirty Dancing is that I think it was made in about, I don't know if it was maybe 1989 or 1990. It was like yeah. that time. And I mightn't be exactly right, but around that era. Yeah. 
And I think it's quite interesting that it explores like um, abortion as a theme because I don't true. think now they would do that because a lot of the like for those type of Hollywood films that's true. have become a lot more conservative and yeah. I don't think in a film that's kind of aimed at teenagers and even preteens yeah. because of the music and everything um, I don't think you'd be able I don't think you'd be not saying you'd be I'm not it's too strong to say you wouldn't be allowed because we don't have censorship yeah. hopefully but I just don't think it would be made I think they would tell them to take that out of it so very randomly, I did um, media studies for um, for a AS level, um, and it was kind of random really because I was meant to do chemistry, and out of pure laziness, I mean, when you're talking about a sixteen year old, you, I mean, you can't. There's not much more logic than this. I basically got to the college, and they said, "Oh, you know, chemistry is actually off site." You have to go to a certain school and, you know, it's a while away and da 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 for well, do I really like chemistry it anyway that much? It's a lot of hassle mm-hmm. for a subject you're not that enthused about. Um, nor did I ever think I was going to be a chemist or, or whatnot. So I just basically said to the girl next to me, um, who I was friendly with, so where are you going now? And she was like, media studies. So I was like, all right, let's go. Mm, um, I literally would have never done it before that. And actually it's been, it's been extremely useful in in my job or in you know it's one of those really odd things Uh, sociology I found the same thing like I would never have thought how much it like carries through into real life um which is useful because sometimes they don't actually teach you the useful stuff at school like how you pay your taxes or what to do with a pension or how to even photocopy or use I don't know sage or something anyway that's another issue. But anyway, um, one of the parts of media studies, we, of course, analysed films. Um, and so the project that I had, um, I chose Schindler's List, which had come out um, more or less around that time. And um, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, Schindler's List is based upon a true story um, of... Um, a, a chap who essentially saved a lot of um, a lot of Jewish people um, during the the Second World War um, during the Holocaust. Um, he had a factory, and he tended to choose the people to work in his factory who basically were obviously going to be sentenced to death. So it might be someone who hasn't got an arm, or someone who was quite weak, or someone who was quite old. Um, and he'd often have them doing like small jobs that wasn't very productive anyway. Um, and he, he carried this through. So Schindler's List is obviously the list of people that he employed. And yeah. He tries to employ as many as possible. So it's an extremely emotional film. Mm-hmm. But the cinematography in it is incredible. So it's in black and white. And of course, it didn't need to be because of, of when it yes, was set. But there was this one moment where... It follows a little girl in a red jacket. Oh, yes, yeah. I remember that part. Exactly. And in the film, she, you know, it comes out as red. Mm -hmm. So, and I think the symbolism of that is, you know, we're watching this film and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands, even people are dying, you know, as as you're watching this film. But I think, um, you know, by focusing on one person, a standout, Mm -hmm. somehow the, the watcher really like hones in on their, their that particular story yes mm-hmm. and it makes it almost like 20 times sadder watching one little girl go through this ordeal than almost all of these people that you're seeing being piled piled up or shot or whatever it is and you know all this kind of gru- gruesome stuff i agree it's, it's, it's sort of the power of the individual because when you mm. focus on a big crowd people can become a bit nameless and faceless whereas that focus on one person makes it more heart-wrenching I suppose exactly and it does actually have another bit of colour in the film but it's more hard to recognise but later on um, towards the end of the war where it's about to be called that there's peace Mm -hmm. um, and the allies had had, you know triumphed um, there is a group of factory workers who are essentially um, standing around a candle um, and it's to do with um, one of the kind of religious ceremonies that they're kind mm. of secretly doing. And the candle um, is actually slightly yellowy rather than the black and white oh, right. that you see. So it's h- harder, but, you know, kind of symbolising hope or whatnot. 
But yeah, extremely powerful story. Mm. Yeah, because you'd never get that in an actual black and white film. You know, the way you, that's obviously yeah. an intentional touch to make that candy yellow. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we studied, when I was in school, we didn't have a separate, We you can study media studies as a separate subject in Ireland. Well, maybe you can now, but you couldn't then anyway. So you did it as a component of English, like of English literature. Mm. So you tended to, when you did your junior certificate, which would be like a GCSE equivalent, you studied, you know, advertisements and the power of advertising and you had to mm. see, you know, they gave you pictures of ads and then you had to answer questions on them and all of that. But then when you did your A-level equivalent, which is a leaving certificate, you did, um, you did this, you had to compare a novel, a play and a film and it was um, under, you know, you had to compare the genre, the cultural context um the characters and everything and so in order to study the film obviously you had to learn something about filmmaking yeah. so that you'd be able to comment on it and so that you could compare and contrast mm. it then yeah. book and play but we did um this film called room with a view and i just remember we had to watch it so many times and it was good <laughs> but it was um it was one of those sort of Merchant Ivory films you know, that were very popular in the like 90s. But I wasn't studying this in the 90s, but it would have been made in the late 80s, right. early 90s. Where You know how Helena Bonham Carter, was mm. when she was first started out as an actress, she was in a lot of those historical dramas. Oh, right, okay. So it was one of yeah. those historical dramas that she was in first at kind of the start of her career. And then Maggie Smith, who you know is oh, an yeah. amazing actress, she was in it as well. She was doing a really typically Maggie Smith role where she's this kind of really straight-laced chaperone yeah. who's taken this girl to Florence so that she can see all the art and she's kind of doing one of those European tours and then they want her to marry this absolutely horrible character who I think is played by Daniel Day-Lewis but they make mm. him out to look a real drip like he just yeah. looks awful he has a most horrible personality and then she actually really likes this other um man who she's met but he is a bit you know in those old films I think his father is new money so oh, they're yeah. just like oh he's really not suitable oh, yeah. <laughs> and then um, she's kind of talking to him in that but but she doesn't really her character she's quite like um, I think maybe outwardly a bit cold so she doesn't really give the impression that she likes him so they mm. all kind of think oh well she's not that fussed about him anyway so it's fine she probably will just marry this weird old that she's the drip. Yeah. yeah. but then eventually at the end of the film she realises that she it does, she finally admits that she does like him. So there's this really dramatic scene where you see when she plays the piano, this is obviously you know how they show it through film. So she always feels seems very calm and collected and quite straight laced. But yeah. when she plays the piano, she plays like she's really good at playing you know, very complicated yeah. pieces. And she plays it really passionately. Like she leans over the piano and her hair, you know, which is up in quite a, a bun, like kind of starts to fall down and stuff. So it's obviously that she really unleashes her inhibitions when she plays the piano. Oh, okay. And it shows that she actually does have hidden passions, even though she doesn't show them. And then also, I think at one stage, they show a scene where she's kind of loosened the stays on her corset, yeah. you know, so that her dress is a bit looser to kind of show her loosening up, yeah. I suppose. And then eventually at the end of it, she suddenly says... But of course I love him. What do you all think? And starts running through the streets. And you're just like, wow. Oh. It was, it's really, like, it's quite, it's very subtle. And it's that very old-fashioned. Yeah. It's very prim and proper. But I think it's interesting that, you know, the film can show those little visual bits. Yeah. Whereas when you do compare it to a book, I mean, it is based on a book. But that would be very difficult to explain in a book, I think. Because yeah. you'd have to go all into the person's interior, you know, life and monologue and everything. That's true. I think, um, I think costumes are extremely important in um in film as well like like you said you know she loosens up mm-hmm. and you know her hair falls down and things like that and um and in fact this is one of the things I really love about La La Land as well oh yeah um because she um you know um what's her name the main character very beautiful redhead I know her the um, actress is Emma Stone oh Emma Stone but I can't think of the character's name so yeah the character that Emma Stone plays anyway she um, goes through and to begin with she's in these very like light-hearted um, dresses which are like usually quite short so oh, she yeah, plays kind of 60s type almost yeah she of, like plays yeah, like a girl about vibe. time yeah, down yeah, yeah with her yeah. mates and stuff like that yeah. and then um, when she um, gets in this relationship you can see the outfits being quite dowdy and mm. there was this one time where she goes for an interview and I, I think she was like 
wearing a very like dowdy jumper and stuff like yes, that and I it was like that, yeah. through her relationship stage mm-hmm. and then you know there's this other part where you know she becomes a famous actress and all of a sudden she's wearing these like drop dead killer dresses mm, you know yeah. and high heels and fantastic yeah and it like the story just shows through the outfits as well. No, I agree. And she has that sort of polish in the last scenes where she's wearing yeah. those, as you say, those the Hollywood, down, the Hollywood sparkle to her. Yeah. But then I think in a way you think, but they're quite restrictive, those Hollywood dresses. Like they're physically yeah. restrictive even though they look good. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's one of the things coming back to um James Bond, one of the things I absolutely love about James oh, Bond. Like, I get James so excited, Bond. I'm like outfits the cars the locations oh the locations the, the, the start of it you know the opening scene he's yeah. always some amazing escape yeah you know? exactly and even if it's like streets of london which gives me like all these like you know reminds me of all these places mm-hmm. i'm like oh yeah i know that that's a back street in victoria and you can like spot all these things yeah, that that's may- true. maybe other watchers you know can't but then you know all these really exotic places mm-hmm. i think I think we might have spoken before on a podcast like you know him going to like uh, Mexico and, oh uh, yeah or when he does those you know the very stereotypical but very good south of France Riviera car oh. chase where he's always going around those winding roads the best. And it's, or it's like, like Morocco Italy, or something yeah, yeah. beautiful scenery and then yeah I, and I just love the comfort and the familiarity like you just know James Bond's always going to get out of trouble like no yeah. matter what happens he's going to live to fight another day ah uh, so good so I do love those types of movies. Um, I'm really into sci-fi as well, which you're not into. <laughs> but one of the um, one of the things that I learned about, um, you know, when I was doing those classes, is how the stories kind of go from uh, the start where something's normal. And then the middle where something's changed, there's some kind of crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the end when things are normal again. Yeah. Um, and I really like it when um, movies completely like switch that up and I yes. suppose I'm not necessarily saying that, that sci-fi movies kind of do that but they add a different like level or element to it um, and uh, even ones that are a little bit philosoph- philosophical or like, based in the future and mm. um, I mean I don't know if you've, if you've um, watched Children of Men before um, um, with Clive Owen, which does it absolutely so brilliantly. No, I actually haven't seen. I remember I'd actually forgotten about Clive Owen because he used to be so famous before and in so That's many right. things, but he's yeah. not now. Um, no, I don't. I haven't seen that because just because, as you know, I don't like sci-fi. Yeah. So, um, but I, I don't know. It's just like dramatized, but set in the future. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Or maybe I would like that then. And what happens in that one is, um, so the, the extra level of, of abnormality and what could be a very normal story is that um, people have stopped having children. So because of it's environment... I'm a bit close to the bone now for me, a woman <laughs> in her mid-30s, so you know, it might be emotionally upsetting for me. Could well be. And it starts off um, with, oh, by the sounds of it, a kitten screaming its head off from somewhere. Oh, got a new kitten. a little baby in a drawer. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, I have a kitten, not a baby in the troll. Um, but it starts off with this bomb going off in London. Oh, the kitten's trying to make his way down the stairs, and I think he's getting a little bit frightened because of the gaps between the steps. Oh, there you go. Oh, he looks really happy now. Oh, he feels a sense of achievement, I think, now. So cute. Mm. I think that's probably saying uh, she's hungry as well. And it's bang on, you know, 20 to 4 when it's food time. Look at that. Oh. Well, she'll, ha- she'll have to wait for five more minutes. Um... Yes, so um, in Children of Men, there's um, there's a point where they find find out one woman is is pregnant, and it's got really political, and they basically have to save this woman from getting into the clutches of anyone political and, okay. and help build build a future. I'm not really selling it, but it is very very good. Okay, I'll take your word on it. Yes, maybe maybe you should watch it sometime. Maybe I should. It's just, I think what puts me off sci-fi is that I always associated with the kind of Star Wars, Star Trek kind of stuff, and I hate that. Mm. That's true. That's true. And the monsters, like you said before. Yeah, all those like creatures and monsters and, you know, those, yeah. those really bad sci-fi films that are just so outlandish and awful special effects. And I think that just put me off, maybe seeing some of those when I was younger and being like, oh my God, no. 
Yeah, I suppose this is his own genre. I'm trying to look at the back of this DVD package. Um, that so that I've sounds got. a bit almost like Handmaid's Tale, like that. Yes, thing. there you go. So that's the kind of like it's sci-fi. Dystopian, I suppose. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is where they've just extrapolated. And I know this is TV, but there's a great series out um, fairly recently called Years and Years. Right. where um, it's set in Manchester in the UK and um, they basically extrapolate what's been going on politically okay. um, and with digital and um, like how society's been mm-hmm. and it goes on for like a 15-year period and it's right. absolutely fantastic. Oh, maybe I should watch that. It, yeah, it really makes, makes, you th- makes you think. Um, but yeah... Don't you think some of the best films are ones that have been adapted from books because they have just a, so much depth in them? I agree. Much more. Th- I think any of the films I really like have been. Yeah, I agree. Because the other ones that Hollywood just thinks up itself are usually shit. Yeah. Thought would be useless. <laughs> Is that a plot? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then if you love the book, it can be upsetting because you're like, oh, but it's not how I envisaged it. Uh, yeah, I think we talked about that a bit in mm. uh, one of our earlier podcasts about the books. Did we say about um, One Day, which is always the one that I point oh, to, yes. where, you know, the character is meant to be a bit plain, um, bit plain. plain yeah. yeah, and then um, what's her name is uh, not... What is her name? Um, is she Emma or Emily or something? Um, no, she's not. Hathaway, there you go. Anne Hathaway. Anne yeah. Hathaway, yeah. And you're like, you're so pretty. Like, even if you put a big pair of 80s-style glasses on you, you're still, you're not plain. You're the opposite of plain. Like, they should have got somebody like Minnie Driver, well, she's old now, to play her, like, who actually is quite plain. Yeah. No offence to Minnie Driver. No offence to her. Like, you know, she's no stunner. Gosh, she she would say the same about us, I'm sure, or even worse. Am I holding myself out as an A-list Hollywood star? Oh, I, I don't know. Um, I'm still enjoying this gin. I've got to say, this is very good. It's, um, we got a bit of, um, what do we call it, blind tiger gin um, oh, with tonic. Oh, we're recording now? Yeah, yeah, we're recording. Oh, I wouldn't have said that nasty thing about Mini Driver. Ah! But also, did I say that thing about my sister while we were recording? Because you'll kill me. No, no, okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wasn't saying anything nasty about my sister, but I just gave a bit of an insight into her personal life, which I don't think she'd like me to share. But I would never have said that about Mini Driver. I just checked me. <laughs> Well, we're keeping it in now. <laughs> well, I'd just like to say she is an attractive woman for her age, and in later years, she did lose the weight for a plate. <laughs> Very nice and diplomatic. <laughs> it's a slight interlude. Um, as uh, I recently just realised that you'd also brought with you, you're such a good guest. You like bring all your drinks with you. It's amazing. Um, and I'm so, such a rubbish, stingy person. As, no, like, because most you, but you provided Dutch lovely gin. Are. I'm going to put a little bit of tonic into my drink oh, now. But yeah. you provided a very nice gin. It's called what? Did you yeah, the blind tiger, tiger stuff. But um, nice. yeah, and then you've got this fantastic elderflower syrup, which just tops it off. <gasps> Delicious. Um, but anyway, yeah, we were talking about um, films um, based upon books. And um, you were saying there was one film coming out this year, wasn't it, that you were quite excited about? But I haven't read this book. Yes, yeah, so I mentioned before that Rebecca is one of my favourite books, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And like years ago in the 30s or 40s or something like that, Alfred Hitchcock adapted that book into a, a film, a black and white film. But it's one of those ones that would be considered like a very good classic film. But mm. now I saw on Netflix, it's been, you know, revitalised and readapted several times. But I saw on Netflix a few weeks ago that they're making it and they're going to bring it out in the next few weeks. But they had a trailer and it was really good, like very, vi- you know, when they sometimes do that, um, like intentionally do that very vibrant technicolor so that something oh, yeah. the colors are brighter like intentionally to give it maybe a bit yeah. of a cartoon vibe or real brightness so um, it's a very good story so that's one i'm looking forward to because what's what's the gist of it because i'm not quite sold on it yet you need to so, give, give more sales right so rebecca is it's a I think it's a psychological thriller. So it's a woman who goes to the south. It's set in the 30s. So a woman goes to the south of France with a very irritating 
pampered, spoilt, rich lady as her paid companion. And this is a young woman in her 20s. And she's of a, you know, in, you know, in those days, how sort of class was so important. So she's of a well-bred family, but they've fallen on hard times. She's sort of in genteel poverty, which is why she's had okay. to take this job as a paid companion to this horrible woman. So while she's on a glamorous holiday in the south of France mm -hmm. as this woman's companion, she meets a widower called Max de Winter, who's an older, sophisticated, quite wealthy man. Mm. And they have this whirlwind romance where he like proposes to her and they get married and everything all during the course of this trip in France. Mm. And the woman who she's a paid companion to is furious, of course, that she's, you know, left her in the lurch, yeah. that she's sort of progressed in life. So then she goes back to his home in England, which is one of those huge country estates, or a Downton Abbey type thing, like a huge, nice. vast estate. And it's called Mandalay. And the book opens with, last night I dreamt I was back in Mandalay again. And she basically, the house is haunted, not not haunted in a, you know, in a ghost way, but it just his his wife is every, you know, his dead wife's like is everywhere yeah. in it. Like, so all the staff of the household, like the housekeeper, this villain, Holmes Danvers, they all remember his wife and like yeah. absolutely love the wife. And then there's portraits of her all over the, the house. Her things are there. So it's a bit spooky. Her like memory is just there. And then over the course of the the time that she's in England, that's when the book really takes off. It turns out that actually the relationship between him and his wife wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And all these secrets from the past start to emerge. Yeah. It's quite like a good, I mean, I won't spoil it, but there's a good mystery element to it. And then Mrs. Danvers, this housekeeper, starts this kind of like campaign of like psychological abuse oh. on the new wife, you know, just yeah. trying to always put her down and make her feel, oh, you'll never be good enough. And yeah. you'll always prefer, Rebecca is actually the name of the, the first wife. So very cleverly, the book is called Rebecca, but we never know the name of the actual, the lead character, uh, yeah. because she's so second fiddle to Rebecca that all you ever hear about is Rebecca. But one thing she says in the book, which I find now very cutting, but when I would have first seen, read the book as a teenager, or would have seen the film when I was young, um, she says at one stage, so Rebecca was older than her when yeah. she died, because she was like close. So I think he was maybe in his 40s when they, when they meet, and she's in her 20s, but he would have been the same age as the first wife, okay, Rebecca, yeah. like they would have been equally of equal age. So at one point, she feels just very unsophisticated in comparison to the dead Rebecca. Yeah. So she says, oh... I wish I was a woman of 36 wearing a black dress and pearls and, and people saw me as a sophisticated woman of 36. And now I'm like, as a woman of 36, no one should ever wish for that. I, mean, <laughs> I wish I was 20 and people thought I was naive and ingenue as opposed to a sophisticated. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sophisticated, but I don't really like being a woman of 36. I think you're pretty sophisticated. Well, no, but I don't like being a woman of 36 and I wish I was a woman of 21. Well, yeah. But I would highly recommend it. It's, it's a really good story. And I think because of the setting as well, I imagine the, you know, the costume will be really nice it'll be a beautiful mm. house so it'll just be that visually it'll be sumptuous yeah. I think and we weren't sure whether that was going to be a film or a series we're yet to I think is... it's a film I oh, think it you is, looked okay. it up and it was a film yeah because oh, okay. there have been some but I think it's a Netflix film but I would recommend it I think it'll be really good mm. and another one that I'm looking forward to is um Death on the Nile. I think you said that's going to be a Hollywood film because like yeah, because I know a few years ago Kenneth Branagh did an updated Murder on the Orient Express because I actually mm. watched that here in Saint Helena. Somebody screened it in their house. Oh, yeah. But I love Agatha Christie novels and I, I really enjoy those those films. Mm. So I think Murder on the Orient Express is just one of those Christmas films. Like I just remember sitting it, you know, sitting down watching eating a tin of celebrations. Do you know what I haven't watched that? Oh, it's really good. The the one with Lauren Bacall is good. Like there's loads of adaptations of it. Okay. And then, but one in, well, I think this is interesting. Maybe you and Ashley, nobody else will find it interesting. <laughs> but when the Orient Express stops in in the that original film version, um, it stops due to snow on the train tracks, and it stops in Cluj-Napoca, and that's where mm. my sister, part of Romania, that my sister went mm. to. But I remember first of all, like the first time I saw it, I didn't really know where that was, and then when I saw it more recently I just knew where it was I found that quite interesting but no I just think the fact that it's filmed on a train it kind of gives it the well I mean it's maybe it's not filmed on a train like it might have been in a studio yeah. set but the fact that it's set on a train yeah, yeah. it kind of makes it more like the theatre it has that claustrophobia of a theatre set but I quite like that so true so um one of the um you know we talk about this podcast uh, fairly often we both watch the or listen to the high low mm -hmm. um 
and um, one of the recommendations on that from a while ago was um, this series called Run. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, no, I didn't watch that. I must have oh, it was, that. It was a, it's a great idea. Um, the premise is that um, <clears throat> there was a, a couple who were together on the, I think, university days or college days, as the Amer- Americans would call it. Or Irish people. I also do call it college. Oh, right. <laughs> call it college. Okay. Um, and um, they basically had an agreement that if one was to message the other, um, just saying run, um, and the other one was to message back saying run. Oh, I heard them speaking about this. Is this a TV series then? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And is it on Netflix? Um, it's not on Netflix, but it's, yeah, it's just general TV series. So where did you watch it then? Um, so we had a copy in our, our you know, you oh, can wow. totally oh, yeah, watch that. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, no, continue and, saying, um, t- telling me about this sounds brilliant. Yeah, and um, so, and it, it's great casting. Now, can I remember the actors and actresses? No. The female I hadn't seen in anything before. She was an American lady. Um, and the guy was, um, he... Uh, a kind of red-haired fella. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to remember. But but the point is that... Um, is it Damien, take Damien Lewis? N- That's in Homeland. No, no it's not him. Oh, okay. Um, so basically, the, the message run, and the next day, um, they are to meet on the first train after five o'clock going to Chicago from okay. New York. Oh, I'd love if someone messaged me that, just for the excitement. I know, it's, it's so exciting. And they get on. And, and so basically, like you say about the, the murder on the Orient Express, it's um, a series essentially based on the train and some of the stops around yeah. it and, and things that happen. It's got a bit of an abrupt ending, which I'd rather have it gone on a little bit longer. Okay, um, that can be irritating sometimes. But it's, Do you think it'll be renewed? Like, they were trying to make it a cliffhanger, or is it over? Poss- possibly. It, feel, it felt like the story wasn't finished. But then maybe that's the romanticist in me that, like, the r- romance wasn't finished. Do you get what I mean? Without giving too much away. But I just... I didn't feel like between the characters that that was the end, like the the end of it, or like mm. how it it felt like there would be a lot more to it um, than there was. Mm. So, so I, I, you know, I don't know what the um, yeah what the indication is going forward, but that see so this led um, me and Reese to actually start looking at all of these train journeys you can do. Oh, I love those train journeys, isn't it? And I thought, oh no, something like really, you know posh would be great so we looked at the prices and we looked at the journey did you look at the blue train in south africa yes yeah that i was, was one of do our, that with my parents that was yeah. probably one of the i think one of the top two i would say um are oh, the little kittens oh, having a so cuddle cute. with you oh. yeah we'll have to take a the usual end of uh, end of podcast yeah. shot with the uh, with the kitten involved, but yeah. So um, so that train looked amazing. I know. I thought it looked so good. It's expensive, but it does look like a once in a lifetime. Yeah, thing. but it's not quite as expensive as some of the others. Oh, the European ones are ridiculous. Like no, the new yeah. re- revitalized Orient Express is ridiculous. It's, it's mental. Yeah. You know what I want to do though, which would be cheaper because you were just doing yeah. normal trains. Is have you read Dracula or seen the film Dracula? Um. The and it's based in Romania, isn't it? Yeah, the, the Bram Stoker's Dracula, the kind of original okay. one. So not really. They're anyway, so in if you watch the film of Dracula or you read the book of Dracula, they basically go from England all the way across to Russia through the okay. course of it, like travelling around. So I wanted to kind of my friends and I in Dublin before were saying if you recreated that, because they did it by train, because obviously in the mm. olden days people travel by train a lot. And they so start from could, like Hull or something in England, is that Yeah, because right? I think Romero. really you'd have to start in like in London, or you could start in Whitby in Yorkshire because they're oh, both Whitby, referred to. Right. I think you'd start in Whitby, so then you'd go from Whitby, I suppose, to London, and then you'd yeah. go across to like France, I think, and then you'd go like into Romania from France, mm. and then you'd go if you wanted to retrace the Dracula journey completely, you'd go to Odessa, which I think is like in okay. Russia, or maybe the Crimea. I know those voyages have changed mm. very recently, and then you'd come kind of back again. But it's it's a really interesting journey. Like okay. it would be really, I think it'd yeah. be really good to do. But I know the luxurious ones would be more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a there's a luxurious Scottish one as well. You can go uh, from London right. to Scotland to like there's Edinburgh, like a sleeper but in train. a really fancy one. Yeah, there's yeah. a sleeper one. There's another sleeper one going from London to Cornwall. Um, but they're they're kind of more basic. There's an Australian one when we was doing the research. Um, that looked really interesting. It went from um. I think it was Darwin, uh, right in the north of Australia. And then it came through bang on the middle of Australia. 
Um, and they stopped in, um, is it Uluru where Ayers Rock is? Is that I think, right? I think um, you're right, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Greece and Australian geography, yeah. so I might be wrong about this. And then it carries on um, and it, it goes to the south. And I can't remember whether it was, um, maybe it was Adelaide or something. Um, okay, yeah. If, if that's oh, the that right geography. Oh, that would be because you'd see, like regardless of the geography, you're obviously going to travel a huge distance yeah. and you'd see really changing landscapes so that would be very yeah. interesting because I did that interrating in America before and it was in, like it wasn't luxury but it was interesting yeah. just to see the landscapes changing and the it, it's probably one of the cheapest ones I think it was like a, maybe it was like um grand and a half or something mm-hmm. in English or did money. you look at the Trans-Siberian um, one that goes yeah, into China then that China. seemed pretty but expensive the, is it I don't know because it's basic but it's probably expensive yeah, get there with the flights that's the thing because you've you've got the two like with all these train journeys you've got the two versions you've got the very like basic ones which mm-hmm. is you know it's yeah. all about just the train journey yeah, in general and, kind of like, yeah, yeah and I've done some of them in in India which you know trains go on for days basically and and then one of these very like expensive ones but I, I think the re- the one that got the the top really like even more than the South Africa one although the South Africa looked like a, a close second in terms of value for money mm-hmm. from the minor piece of research we did um the you know the, the Orient Express that goes from yeah. Singapore up into Bangkok oh, fantastic that would be amazing the look of it oh. and the thing is you would get the like the smells and oh, the that would food be like can the, you do it can you do it the whole way anymore could you combine the two Orient Express routes could you do the original London to was it Paris to Istanbul and then do the is, could you then do if the you Singapore had all the money in the world <laughs> You can do anything, can't you? On I mean, do you need a house? Do you need a pension? Obviously, <laughs> do you need anything really except memories? Exactly. <laughs> oh, I, that would be amazing. I think the irony of it would be: I was thinking about the journey itself, and you know, if you were going through like a mountain range or um, or even like a, a jungle type setting or by a river, right? You'd obviously be staring out the window. But like, if you were going just through the car, so it'd be like, they'd have a viewing deck. You see, yeah. yeah. But if but if you were going through the plains, and I think some of the, for example, um, it was Cape Town to Vic- Victoria Falls. But oh, as you good, yeah. as you know, through some that. of that route, route, there was quite like there's quite a lot of plains rather than like yeah. interesting, yeah. say like hilly. Fair enough. Yeah. The Singapore Bangkok would be more interesting, I'd say geographically. But then Cape Town to Victoria Falls, the romance of that, because you could probably relax during the plane parts, have a drink. Have you a nice dinner? That's what I thought, because I'd just basically be reading and I'd be Yeah, it'd be so refreshing. It'd be like, and I wonder if, I suppose the only disadvantage to a train is you don't have the tanning opportunities. You know, if you're cruising, Mm. you do have the the tanning opportunities. So I think a train for me would probably be more a cooler season where I'm actually happy to be inside. The uh, the thing about it though is looking at the prices, they're cut down prices. Now the issue is, we can't. (laughs) We absolutely can't. I mean, um, as as we speak, you know, last um, this week just gone, or last week, depending on how you look at it, um, Africa just went to uh, South Africa Mm. just went to level one, which means they're allowing flights in and out. So you you potentially could. Um, now and and they've got like cut down discount prices but you you know last time I I, I seen it's it's impossible to get into either Singapore or Bangkok without a two-week quarantine so but if anyone is living in uh, those countries do it do it I mean it's the stay staycations would you call it that I mean stay in your country and do these wonderful things that they've got if they take away their, if Singapore and Bangkok were to take away their quarantine, because Asia is doing quite well with their response, so they might they open are. up sooner. Like, I would definitely consider that. But as you say, they are very expensive. But then I think mm. they're probably worth it for the, you know, it's it's an experience, I think. Mm. And the food and everything is meant to be amazing on those trains. Like, it's a real mm. gourmet experience. Yeah. Definitely one thing to consider that it does include all the, the food and the board and everything. So mm, You could probably buy drinks packages as well, like a cruise probably. Mm. <sighs> all the dreams of the future places oh, to visit. We do love our travel. We do love to travel. Yeah. So um, we, we can't uh, talk about movies without being entirely honest and asking ourselves what are the movies that you could watch just over and over again. And I say entirely um entirely honest because for me I can't be pretentious about this and be like oh yes it's oh, no, Schindler's List or something rubbish, like, yeah. yeah yeah I'll have a bit of rubbish oh, yeah. a bit of comedy mm. 
So which ones is it for you? So I would watch as kind of... I would watch Legally Blonde or Bridget Jones' Diary just because they're funny. Uh, and like, uh, so I think particularly Legally Blonde, I probably wouldn't. If it was on television, I'd watch it because yeah. I find like, oh, it's an easy watch. Whereas Bridget Jones' Diary tends to be on a bit more because of the Christmas, you know, the way there's Christmas yeah. is focused. So it tends to often be on at Christmas. And I quite like that at Christmas. Yeah. And then also, I will always watch. Um, if when whenever when Harry Met Sally's on television, I'll always oh, yeah. watch that. That's a bit more clever because I think Nora Ephron's mm. writing is very good, but it's very watchable. And then I'll always watch The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins if they're on because yeah. they're just watchable. Like you don't have to think about them. That's You're just true. it's just pure enjoyment. Yeah, the Christmas films are a good one. Love Actually is one of my favorite, oh, and I know yeah, people really. get some people oh, no, get bored of it, it, but I, I'll happily watch it. Like several times a year in fact I love the Christmas song so much that but do like, you I'd remember the now. first time you saw Love Actually because you see now we're all like we've all seen it loads of times and it seems yeah. like but do you remember the first time you saw it? I remember it was thought it was brilliant the first time I saw it I, I literally cried at the scene um, where like right at the beginning where they're at Heathrow and they're oh, talking yeah. about how you know despite you know the world being well I don't know like there is basically there's so much joy joy in the world and it's just so lovely yeah I remember watching it after my 21st the weekend of my 21st birthday it was opened in the cinema so I went to watch it on the Sunday and it was so good that when my sister and my cousin came to visit me a week later I just went and watched it with them again but it was immediately rewatchable fantastic one of the more recent ones I absolutely love is um this film called how to be single that's hilarious. It's so freaking funny. It's so hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And it's Room, just... What's her name? Rebel Wilson? Yeah. She's just so good in that. And I've become such a Rebel Wilson fan. I, I will watch kind of any movie that she's in. And There's a good one with her and Anne Hathaway where they're playing con artists in the south of France. Oh, really? I can't think of the name <laughs> of it now. I saw it on Netflix, but it was really funny. Because okay. she's like, plays herself. Like, she's very uncouth and everything. And Anne Hathaway's yeah. this really classy sort of con artist. And it's just really good. It, it is funny, actually, that a lot of the movies seem to have that, where Rebel is this, like, huge character, and then she's mates with, like, a very, um, well, slightly more introverted, quiet, like, sensible kind of person. Mm. It seems so to she's be... a comic... They're the straight man to a comic foil kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I do... Well, would just, like, take this... I do feel really bad for body shaming many driver, particularly as I am fat myself, and she's much thinner than me, so I just want to apologise profusely for that. She is actually very attractive. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm wearing, like, the most rubbish clothes ready for painting, and I look disgusting, so... No, equally... you've got a nice little caftan thing on, though. I think it's nice to look a bit of an Asian oh, thank you. I think just... you're getting into your heritage. <laughs> yeah. Your Indonesian heritage. Exactly, and just ready for the Orient Express when oh, it's... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh, I, I'm just going to do... Oh, I think I want to do one of those Great Train Journeys. That was a series before, Great Train Journeys of the World. Oh, really? Yeah, my dad used to watch it, but as a child, I was like, this is so boring. But now I'm like, oh my God, it's actually good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so if anyone's listening, know of any like excellent shows like that, perhaps a more recent one about train journeys, please let us know, because we're clearly now... Yeah, the borders have probably been redefined a lot since that yeah. one went out. <laughs> Like, oh, that country's not there anymore. I was going to say, I was like, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> oh, that one's like 20 times more expensive. Right, we should probably do the countdown then. Oh, yes. And our top five favourite films and film experiences are, at number five, we have cinema experiences. At number four, we have Dirty Dancing. At number three... We have the James Bond films, the entire James Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. Number two, It's a Wonderful Life. And number one, it's romantic, it's funny, it's Christmassy, it's cheesy. Love actually. Yes. All based on our own opinions. <laughs> Completely. Everything we said is our own opinion. <laughs> we are definitely not film critics. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs>